0: So glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Whether you are here in the building or whether you are online, another nation or place around them, we we're just so glad that you're with us today. We are going to be stepping out of Genesis. We're in a Genesis series, but today we're stepping out of Genesis because I want to talk about something throughout the year on and off, and that is these holy days from the, uh, from the Old Testament that God instituted. And this actual very week is the week following one of these holy days. Today we're going to look deep into the Old Testament. And then we're going to connect it with the New Testament. And then by the end, I, I want to connect all that to your life. Because that's what it should do, right? It should say, well, now how should we live? Now what do I do with this information? And, and-, and some people have asked, you know, why-, why do you preach about ancient Hebrew holy days? Like, why, we, why even do that? And, and I want to say something. I believe, and you may have heard me say this before, I believe the entire Old Testament points to something, or actually to someone. It points to someone. I also believe in the, that the Old Testament has many events which are mirrored in the New Testament. And today's one of those. We looked at this a couple weeks ago and we saw what God did in Genesis and what He's going to do at the end of Revelation. And today we're going to have another of those moments where the Old Testament and New Testament, God's doing something again. And it also has great meaning for us today. Um, there's many Hebrew holy days, but there are three that are special and require a, a pilgrimage. Exodus 34:23. Three times a year you shall appear before the Sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. There's these three holy days where they pilgrimage and make a pilgrimage, and one of them is called Shavuot. Now, now we have talked about this one uh, somewhat before, but I have done the deep dive on this, and there is some information that just has me so excited to see some connections. And again, credit to Ray Vanderlaan for some of his discoveries and topics on today's messages. This. Whole holy day called Shavuot. Everybody say that. Say "Shavuot." Shavuot. There you go. It also can be called the Feast of Weeks, and it's around the wheat festival. In fact, it's a wheat harvest festival celebration. And God says they should celebrate by bringing the first fruits, the tithe, of their wheat harvest to God. He says, celebrate the festival of weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And he, he reiterates it in verse 26, that to bring the first fruits of your labor to the God's house. And they don't bring it out of obligation, they bring it out of joy. Now, yes, they bring it out of obedience, because he's asked them to, but more than that, out of gratitude for the harvest they've just had, they say, thank you. That's what a tithe is. It's a, it's a thank you for all that God is giving. We give in return. And this is why, uh, so why is it called the Feast of Weeks, though? Why is Shavuot called that? Well, because Shavuot is always seven weeks and one day after Passover. You would celebrate the holy time of Passover and then begin counting down in those days, 50, 49, 48, and then you begin counting the weeks, one week. And as you, as you moved, it would be seven full weeks, and the next day would be Shavuot. But a wheat festival, a wheat festival thanking God for the harvest, does that sound like something we should pilgrim, make a pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem for? I mean, they didn't, they didn't have, like, airplanes. You know, it's a, it's a, they, had to, they had to quit, their work, quit some work and then, and then go travel. Why is this such a big deal? Surely not big enough that everyone would have to go to the temple, but there's so much more to Shavuot than just, just a wheat harvest. And that's what I want to talk about today. What is going on? Because while Shavuot does include ceremonies that have to do with, with, with bread, because what does wheat make? makes bread. So some of their ceremonies had to do with bread. It also had to do with the word of God. And this is, uh, this is from Deuteronomy 8.3 that talks about this thing between word and bread. People cannot live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And this is where Shavuot sits, between this bread and word. Because they're celebrating God giving the wheat harvest, but also God giving something else, something specific. You see, Shavuot was when God, from his own mouth, gave the law, the commandments, to Moses. To see the true impact of Shavuot, we must go back in time into the context of when it was first started. And, and, and so, so, so tr- just humor me. The children of Israel back in those days, they were slaves. They were children and grandchildren of slaves. It is all they had known. And, and what does slavery do? It robs you of your identity robs you of your culture it robs you of of your self-worth they didn't know how to view themselves because it was generation upon generation upon generation they didn't know how to how to view their relationship with god or even what that meant and so god is going to do something amazing here with these people that he brings out of egypt he wants to he wants to make a covenant with them a covenant is a, like a marriage is a covenant it's it's, it's higher than a promise the people were slaves in Egypt, and until Passover, remember where they put the sacrificial blood over the, over the home, then Pharaoh said, leave, get out, and they journeyed through the wilderness as God's pillar of fire and cloud guided them. They traveled for weeks. In fact, they traveled for seven weeks. And the next day, 50 days after Passover, the children of Israel at the bottom of Mount Sinai, when the first Shavuot happened... Before their very eyes and ears. 50 days after that first Passover, they're about to receive something that would forever change them, change them as a nation, and then we go on to change the world and ripple throughout into the life of Jesus. Because at Shavuot, God gives them His law, the Hebrew covenant, the commandments. Now we need to reframe how we see these. We just think it's a list of do's and do nots, that's how we've seen it. But it's so much more than that. Like I said, it's a covenant. It's a marriage covenant where God binds himself to his people and then calls them out to live separately from the world, to follow him, to, to seek him, to obey him, to love him. He gives them this, this Torah, this, this word, and he, he, it's, it, it comes preloaded with identity because these are people without identity. It tells them how they should see themselves. It it tells them how they should see God. How how do we view God? It it gave them wisdom for how they should live their life. It, It gave them peace as they followed his law. It empowered them to be able to live in such a way. Shavuot was when God changed the game for his people. And they would never be the same. Upon that day, the rules of engagement and followership, God laid out a new way to approach him, to follow him. Now, in Exodus, we're going to read, and I just want you to sit back. I want you to listen, and I want you to imagine, if you were there, what you would hear, what you would feel, and what you would see, okay? On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. There's a lot going on there, right? There's a lot. There's this thunder, which the, the, the Hebrew word is the very same word for, for voices. And, and we talk, it talks about this voice um, declaring something. A voice on this day was heard. There were sounds, blasts, a rushing of, of smoke. It must have been wind as well that billowed for it to rush. And then there was a trembling. And then it says, the Lord descended in fire. You see, on the day of Shavuot, God descended in fire and gave his law, the commandments, the covenant, this covenant to his people. This is God's revelation of, to His people of who He is, who they are, and how they should live. This is one of those days I would have loved to have been present. Now it says they're all trembling, so maybe not. You know, as you see all these things happening, and they were so scared they said, "Moses, can we not do this again? Can you just, do, you know, do this?" I mean, I mean, there's there's fire, there's there's a mountain shaking, this revelation given, a new way to live, a new way to a, a divine resource that God has provided us, His Word. I cannot stress enough how grand and how high this day would would loom in the in the life of a Hebrew the Shavuot the, the celebration of the first fruits of the field but also the first fruits of the word that gave them all this identity and Jesus would have celebrated Shavuot in Jerusalem we see uh, we have it on record that he goes to Jerusalem for the other pilgrimage uh, holy days, and we're not given an account of him going there for Shavuot, but I, I personally believe that he would have done so and he would have been there with his disciples to celebrate. And, and here's the thing. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we don't celebrate Shavuot like they used to in Exodus or even in the time of Jesus. Today, we're gonna learn something that happened on Shavuot that changed how you and how I pray, how we, how we worship And how we live in our own lives today. You see, what God did in Exodus with the children of Israel, he did it again. But not just for one nation, but for all people. Exodus out of Egypt is projected to be around the time of 1400 B.C., But our next step, we need to fast forward 1,100 years into the future to around 300 BC. And it has no prophet, it it doesn't have anything to do with prophets or anything like that. It's actually Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great begins to sweep across the globe and with it he brings a, a new language, the unifying language, the Greek. And that's why we don't know this Hebrew holiday as Shavuot. We know it by a different name. A name that actually has spawned um, whole denominations. A name that when you say it in church, people come from different um, experiences and they they either get excited or they shudder. Uh, You never know. See, we know Shavuot by the Greek word Pentecost. That's where we get the Pentecostal. Now, Pentecost, that must be a pretty spiritual word, right? I mean, it's got to mean like fire, or something like, or I mean, like raise, it's raise hands. Or It's got to mean something big and bold and, and, and like just really, ugh, it's, it's Pentecost. Well, Shavuot was 50 days after Passover. And Pentecost is simply the Greek word that means 50th. Yeah, it means 50th. That's what it means. You might have thought that Pentecost was a Christian thing, but for a long time before Christianity, when they were in the Greek... It was known as the Pentecost was the name of something that happened 3,500 years before on Mount Sinai. And now we find ourselves today, right here, right now in 2022, in the week following Pentecost, this holy day of Shavuot. Remember, it's a day in which God descended in fire to give his people a new revelation, a new covenant, but let's move farther in the future than Moses and Alexander the Great. Let's go to the cross. We have Jesus. He, he's risen up on a cross. He dies and he is buried. This happened uh, you know, Passover. Passover, it's, it's over and days later they celebrate the first Sabbath after Passover. And Hebrews of Jesus' time, just like they had been doing for generations before, begin counting down at that point. So the first day... The Sabbath after Passover is day 50. That was the day that Jesus rises from the grave. So they would continue to count down. 49. 48 days until Pentecost. 47. The disciples, what are they doing? They're living in fear. They're trembling. They they just took our Messiah and crucified him. Are they going to come after us? 46. 45 days. I mean, like, what are they even doing now? They had followed Jesus for three days, three years. Three years they'd followed him, and and they thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was going to rise up and, 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 and throw off the shackles of the Romans, but he was risen up on a cross and crucified by the Romans. 44 days, 43 days. They're hopeless. In fact, we see in the Bible they return to their old lives 42 days, when suddenly a resurrected Jesus appears to 11 of his disciples. 41 days, 40 days. Can you imagine their excitement? Can you imagine? They they, they watched him be be crucified, but but there he was. He stood before them. 39 days, 38 days. Now the news of this begins to spread. Of course, you're going to tell people, like, we saw Jesus. He's alive. And of course, the people are, could it be? Could he, do they just really want him to be? Are they hope? Is he really? 37 days, 36 days. Could he be alive? I mean, the other eleven swear they saw him. But could it be true? 35 days. Some believe, but some cannot, because they were there, they they saw it. They saw him. 34 days. 33 days. 32 days until Pentecost. Then Jesus at this point appears to seven disciples while they fish on the Sea of Galilee. 31 days till Pentecost. 30 days. 29 days. The the movement starts to buzz with expectation and anticipation as, as they, they keep saying they've seen him and they keep and everybody's wondering, well, am I gonna see him? Are we gonna see him? Is he gonna rise up? 27 days, 26 days. Jesus then appears to the eleven disciples on the Mount, Mountain of Galilee, 25 days, 24 days. 23 days until Pentecost, and it says that he appeared to, and makes himself known to over 500 people. So now it's not just the 11 and some other followers. Now there's this, this bigger swath of people. Over 500 people have seen Jesus. I mean, it's buzzing now. Even the Pharisees are probably like, is it true? Is he? They're bothered by it. Other people are excited by it. Some people are still doubting it. 22 days, 21 days. Many people are being caught up now it is around the city. It is around the nation. They're being caught up. Could he have been resurrected 20 days? Then Jesus appears to his brother James. 19 days. 18 days. 17 days. 16 days until Pentecost. Could the rumors be true? 15 days. 14 days. Now even the people who aren't his disciples are wondering what's going on here. There's just too much talk about it. People are too excited about this. 13 days. 12 days, 11 days until Pentecost, 10 days. The 40th day from Passover, Jesus reveals himself to his uh, disciples as they gather on the Mount of Olives. And there he tells them, I want you to take what you have seen and go into all the world and tell them. Take it everywhere and do it with passion and boldness. But first, he says, Return to Jerusalem, and the one who is promised, God will send. The disciples head back to Jerusalem to wait for whomever is coming. Nine days. Eight days until Pentecost. The celebration of God doing this this new work in his people's lives back then in Mount Sinai. Seven days. Until the ancient celebration of Shavuot when God revealed this new covenant, his word, and a, a new way of living. Six days five days. The disciples are in the upper room. For what or for who? They don't really know. Four days until Pentecost. The, the, the celebration. Four days until that, the, in Exodus where, where God descended in fire and empowered his people with a new covenant. Three days and they are waiting. Two days in the upper room. One day. And with that, We turn to Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, the disciples were all together in one place. Now lean in and take special note here about what you would see, what you would hear, and what you would feel. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them, God descending in fire. And and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in languages as the Spirit enabled them. Remember the Hebrew word for thunder, voices, voices declaring new things. Moses, listen, listen, listen. Moses receives the word on a mountain above the people. The apostles receive the Spirit. This fire in the upper room above the people. Moses was on Mount Sinai. The disciples on Mount Zion, which, by the way, fulfills the prophecy from Isaiah two verse three: For the Lord's teaching will go out from Zion, and His word will go out from Jerusalem. Now, on that ancient day of the first shavuot, on that ancient day back in Exodus on the first shavuot, what happened? What happened that day? Exodus thirty one eighteen: When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai for forty days, He gave him some stone tablets. These commandments, this the, the new covenant uh, inscribed with the terms of the covenant, and, and he 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 brought them down. They were written with the, the finger of God. But if you turn just one verse over from when he gets to those tablets, he begins his hike down, and what does he find the people doing? I mean, there's so many generations of, of this movie. It's either Charleston Heston or a cartoon or something. You've seen this scene at some point. They come down and they're worshiping a golden calf. They were tired of waiting on God. And instead, they started worshiping idols. And that day, on that day, Shavuot, when the covenant was revealed, the people were in such rebellion, it says specifically that 3,000 people died. I always think it's interesting when numbers show up. Why, where, and how much? So we go to Acts 2. Let's move back to Acts 2. The apostles are up in the upper room. They come down. They're bringing the new covenant with them. They found people headed to the temple. But in Acts 2, it says that Peter begins to preach and empowered by the Holy Spirit, he begins to preach to them about Jesus who who lived and who died and who rose again. He finishes his sermon with an altar call, apparently, and Acts 2.41 says, those who believed what Peter said were baptizing that added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. The day Moses brought the old covenant, 3,000 were killed the day the apostles brought the new, brought the spirit, 3,000 were saved. So now we go to 2 Corinthians 3, 6, where Paul tells us, God has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. That's us. This is a covenant not of written laws, but a covenant of the spirit. Not written of laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but the new covenant of the spirit gives life. 3,000 died the day the old covenant was established. 3,000 were saved the day the new covenant was established. On the... On the same day, separated by generations. God is saying something here. The Israelites left, let's keep looking at similarities. The Israelites left Egypt on Passover. They traveled traveled to Sinai. And when Moses went up the mountain to see God, he came back down with the word, And Israelites broke the covenant and 3,000 died. Jesus died on Passover and 40 days later, he went up on a mountain. He went up to the mountain and went up to see God. 10 days after that, after he ascended, the Holy Spirit came down and 3,000 were saved. You see, see, God is saying something here. These are mirror images. These numbers aren't a coincidence and they're here for a reason. You see, God God hides treasure in his word, but he doesn't hide treasure from us. He hides treasure for us. There are things in here he has hidden for you to find. In Exodus, 50 days after sacrificing the first Passover lamb, the Israelites received the new covenant from God. In John, 50 days after sacrificing Jesus, the final Passover lamb, believers received a new covenant from God. At Sinai, God gave the law written by his finger on tablets of stone. At Pentecost, he gave them the spirit written on their hearts. Jeremiah the old prophet he prophesied about this in 31 verse 33 when God declared, "But this is the new covenant I will make with my people in those days. I will put my instructions deep within them and write them on their hearts instead of stone tablets." 2 Corinthians 3:3, 3, 3, "You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, <laughs> written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but tablets of human hearts. At the first Shavuot, God gave this covenant. And what did it do? It granted them identity and purpose and a destiny written on stone. At Pentecost in Acts 2, God gave them a new covenant that granted identity and purpose and destiny written on our hearts. In Exodus, Shavuot on Mount Sinai, God descended in fire on the mountain and declared a new covenant to his people. A covenant, a way of living, a way of relating that they would not be slaves any longer, that they would be set free, that they would be his people and he would be with them and they would build him a temple and he would dwell in their midst. That's what he asked them to do. He wanted to dwell in their midst. And generations and generations later, there in Jerusalem on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended in fire and God declared a new covenant with his people that they would no longer need to be bound by the obedience to the the, the old law and the temple sacrifices, but that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, the covenant had changed and a new covenant was offered. God no longer needed a temple to dwell in the midst of his people because now, because the Holy Spirit he would dwell in his people. The new covenant declares that you are a temple. Those in Jesus, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given by God? This isn't new. This isn't, this isn't a new thought. Did you know God had been leaving breadcrumb trails throughout the Old Testament about how he was gonna do these things? No one knew what to expect But we go to this old prophet, Ezekiel. He's in exile in Babylon. He's prompted to write something from God 600 years before Jesus even showed up. He says this. He he, he says, God declared, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow me and obey me. Deep in the Old Testament, God says that through a prophet. There's a day coming when the spirit won't be in the temple. It'll be in you. So this, the coming of the Holy Spirit was something that, that no one really saw coming, even though God had, had put it in there. Earlier I mentioned this coming of the commandments at Shavuot in Exodus for the ancient Hebrews. It revealed their identity, it gave them purpose, and it, showed, it revealed God's identity. But, but that, was only, that was only a foreshadow. It was just an appetizer. It was just... It was just a taste of what God was gonna do when the Holy Spirit left the temple. When Jesus died, it says the temple, um, in the temple there's the the curtain that separated where where the the presence of God was. It was split from the top to the bottom. Now if you're a human and you're splitting a curtain that tall, you would start at the bottom and and split it up to the top. But it was split from the top to the bottom because the Holy Spirit rendered that um, curtain, came out of the temple, no longer to be in a place. No longer to be in a temple of stone and gold, but to be in the hearts of men and women. On Pentecost, God changed his address from temple to people. Correlation between the first Shavuot and that Pentecost is no coincidence. I hope you see it's no coincidence. God is saying something here. He's saying what I did before, what I did before in giving the, the commands, the law, the Torah, what I did in those days to give them identity and purpose and destiny so they would know me, so that they would be empowered to live for me. What I did back then in those days, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. But this time, I'm not going to write it on stone tablets. I'm gonna write it on the hearts of my people. And my spirit, my spirit will reveal my nature to you. My spirit will give you wisdom, you guidance. It will embolden you and it will lead you. My spirit will reveal your truest identity, your truest purpose, truest purpose in destiny. You see, in Exodus, Exodus, God gave us the Torah, and everything was different from that moment on. But in Acts 2, at Pentecost, he gives the Spirit, and everything is different for us from that point on. It changed the game. It changed his address. If you believe in Jesus, it says that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit should have effect in your life. There should be an effect. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of discipline. The spirit of God should have tangible effect in your life. There should be an added bonus bonus, a bonus of boldness to live as he has asked us a boldness to be able to to live for him in a world that doesn't appreciate it and to speak on his behalf, to pray for those in need, greater love for those that people think are unlovable, giving grace to those who don't deserve it and and empowered with the self-discipline to say yes to the things of God and no to the things of this world. You see, where the Holy Spirit resides, that person is resourced from within by heaven itself. And let's look at how we're resourced, Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not in human measure, in divine measure. So that when, when global things happen, the people of God can have a peace that doesn't depend on the world's activity, but a peace that depends on heaven holding them within. That as believers, we can have a power and boldness to go pray for those who are needy and sick. We can give generously to those knowing that God is blessing us. We can do these things because we're being resourced from within, from heaven itself. He continues, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. How many parts? Every part. What about that one? Yeah, that one. Yeah, he wants to work on that one too. Following the Spirit's lead should, it should be in every single part of our lives. Did you know the Spirit wants to lead you in stronger, into stronger character? The Spirit wants to lead you into stronger character. If you're single, the Spirit wants to lead you to that future spouse. If you're married, the Spirit wants to, to empower you and lead you to be a better wife or a better husband. If you're a parent, the spirit wants to lead you and guide you in being a better parent. The spirit wants to lead you into better business, to be a better employer or employee. The spirit wants to lead you into having an effective ministry to your friends wherever you are. There's no part of your life the spirit of God does not have wisdom or power for you. There's no part of your life where the spirit of God does not have wisdom or power for you. So the question is, am I following God's spirit? So see, he's leading in every part of our life. Am I I following? Are you you following the spirit of God in your relationships? Are you following the spirit of God in your business? Are you following God's spirit in your private life? The Holy Spirit was sent to guide us, to lead us, but here's the truth, he will not force you. So, So here's another question. Am I listening? If he's leading, am I listening? Am I pausing to ask the Spirit how he would how how how, what I should do in this relationship? How I should change in this marriage, how I should adjust. Am I pausing to hear the Spirit's leading over how I parent my children? He knows them better than I do. Am I pausing to ask and listening to how the Spirit would lead me in my private life. Am I pausing and adjusting when I, when I know in my spirit that that Spirit is saying is convicting me of sin? Am I adjusting to that? And here's a truth. Without following the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Christian life will seem anemic. And, and what will, what will happen is we'll end up reading this book and saying. Man, there's some awesome things that happen in there. And Jesus says, I'll do greater things. Where is this in my life? Where is this in my life? If we are not listening and following the leading of the Holy Spirit, then what we read in here, we will not not live the full Christian life because the Holy Spirit wants to lead you into those places. So if you're wondering, where's the peace? Where's the power? Where's the life change promised? It's in a new life, led by the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you asking? Are you asking him? Following the Spirit leads us into godly living. Our lives should look different because of Pentecost. Our church should look different because of Pentecost. We should be led and guided and empowered by God. You see, You see, God is calling us. If you're part of the orchard, God is calling us to be a part of a spiritual awakening in this region and wherever else he chooses to take it. That movement, that spiritual awakening that God wants to do, it will have Jesus at its head, but it will be fueled by the Holy Spirit. And it will be present in those of us who make a bold decision to stop living for our own desires and begin to be led by the Spirit like he's talking about. That that we will be the people that will experience freedom from our vices, from our sins, when we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We'll be people who experience supernatural forgiveness for those who have hurt us. Supernatural love for those on cable TV. I mean, those those who, um, other people that we think don't deserve grace or love. He will empower us to do that. We will be walking and talking with others in our lives about Jesus as we are emboldened by his spirit. Orchard, you weren't saved. You were not saved into a wimpy, powerless, nice religion. You were saved into a powerful, effective, dynamic relationship. And if what you're living seems nice, if what you're living seems kind of wimpy and powerless, that's not the Christian life that you're called to. We're called to be led by the Spirit into something powerful and effective and dynamic that causes change in us and causes change through us. It's time for some of us to start taking God at his word and believing what he says and saying yes to him in the areas he's been asking us to listen and, and following in the areas that he's been leading. And we're gonna, we're gonna take a minute to, to try something new. Because what God did on Mount Sinai in the desert when he gave his word to his people, and what God did on Mount Zion in Jerusalem when he gave his spirit to his people, God wants to do that again here. He wants to do those things. So we're gonna pause for a moment, and in the silence I want and this is, this is going to be tough for some of you. We're going to pause for a moment. And in the silence, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And then I want you to listen. This is why I was saying I, I, I just have to have God show up on Sundays because I can't run around and whisper to all of you, you know? <laughs> but also, listen, I can't preach good enough, and the band can't play good enough to, to control any of these things. We have got to have God's presence. And so, we've been praying that the Holy Spirit would be active today because if you believe in Jesus and the Holy Spirit is present within you, there should be leading and wisdom. And so, we're going to take a moment. And for some of you, you're going to, you're going to hear something, and you're going to be convicted to make a life change. And then you get to choose if you're going to adjust to that. Some of you are going to be challenged to, to let somebody go oh, you know, of, the, of the how much they've hurt you. I don't know what you're going to hear from the Holy Spirit one thing that i would do with my children is i i would have them would say i would we'd be like with my daughter at night and i would say um, let's ask god to show you how he sees you and so in the silence she would wait and she always gets a picture my son always gets words so however the holy spirit speaks to you give him freedom to do that but we're going to ask him to speak to us so are you with me in this i'm going to pray And then you're going to listen. Holy Spirit, fill this place with your presence. We just give you permission to move. We give you permission to speak, don't you? Holy Spirit, I pray in your kindness that maybe for the first time we would hear your still small voice in our spirit. And so Holy Spirit, will you speak to us now? And you're free to ask him a question. Ask him something. Now there's no pressure if you didn't, if you didn't hear anything, it's not like God doesn't love you. (laughs) When we as a family do this with my kids, sometimes my daughter will say, like, Daddy, I didn't hear anything. I was like, I didn't either. But I I tell her the simple illustration. I was like, if someone called you on the phone once a year and just said, Hey, it's me, would you recognize their voice? And she goes, No. I said, What if they called you every day? And they said, Hey, it's me. She goes, I would know that. Part of the Christian life is getting to know the voice of God. There is nothing greater as, you, as, he, as he speaks through his word, as he speaks to your heart to guide you, and so I would encourage you. In fact, you have an assignment this week. You have an assignment. It's two things, and you need to write it on your hand. You need to write it on your mirror. You need to write it somewhere. It's to ask and listen And I'll just say this as a pastor, if you take this one lesson of asking and listening to the Holy Spirit, and that's the one thing you ever take from me as a pastor, your life will change because the Holy Spirit can deliver to you what I will never know. Ask and listen. If you're here today and you're visiting and you're here and you're just checking this out and you're wondering... um, Okay, we're talking about holy days in the past and fire from heaven and, 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 and all this stuff. Um, what does this have to do with me? I just want to say this, that God has a rescue plan for humanity. He's had one since the beginning and he's been moving throughout the Bible and he's doing these different things and he's, he's had you on his mind. He has this rescue plan. He sent Jesus to die and rise again so that you could have salvation. What Jesus offers is forgiveness in your past, peace in your present, and hope in your future. And not just hope for like someday in heaven future, but hope for tomorrow future, that he's doing something new in you. And so if you are here today, um, I would love for you to receive this this gift of the Holy Spirit. And that only happens after you choose to receive Jesus and His salvation. So I'm going to say a prayer, and you're welcome to speak it out loud with me if we all want to do it together. Um, But I want you to pray this prayer, and if, if this is your first time to pray these with your whole heart, say, Jesus, I need you. I've been trying this on my own for a long time. I know you lived and died and rose again. Here is my life. And Holy Spirit, fill me. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Love God, love people. That's what our church runs on. It's God's Spirit who calls us to love God more deeply and love people more passionately. But here's the thing, Orchard. It's time to take it out of the upper room of your, of your life. It's time to take your faith out of the upper room of your life and get down on the streets like those apostles and begin to speak and begin to live and to show the light. It's time to take it out of these four walls and the small walls that you have kept your faith in because you are on this earth to go forth and speak and love and shed light on Jesus so others can know it. So this week, your assignment is to ask and listen. Ask and listen that the Holy Spirit would speak to us.